when people tell me I can't do something, I like to be a contrarian. I like to prove the world wrong. You know, I enjoy it. I enjoy saying, F you, look, I've done it. <laughs> Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie, sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Today's guest is Maya Jonas. Like Lowell, she has retinitis pigmentosa. She was diagnosed at age 24 and was completely blind by 40. It was in her late 40s that she developed a love for sport and became an avid runner. After completing multiple marathons, she set her sights on Nordic skiing in her 50s. She has competed at the Ski World Cup and was the oldest woman to do so. But don't tell this woman she is too old or too blind for anything, because she'll prove you wrong and do it. And she might also kick your butt in the process. She's been through it all. She lost her husband to Parkinson's, she battled breast cancer, and she was running the Boston Marathon at the time of the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013. She is full of stories and wisdom. Our conversation with her went all sorts of directions, and she was surprising us at every turn. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Hey, Lowell. Hey, hey. Maya. <laughs> oh, my God, Lowell. I'm so, like, freaking impressed by you. I've been reading up on you, and I just, you know, like, you are so accomplished. As are you, I'm trying Ms. to catch Maya. up to Maya Jonas. Yeah. Oh. No, no, me, not. Baby, come here. Okay, come over here. Your guide dog. Your guide dog here. Yes. Aww. Okay, is this a good, have I got it lined yeah. up properly? Yeah, it's or? perfect. It's yeah. lined up very well. It is more okay. perfect okay. than I could ever imagine. Well, okay, <laughs> come on, Julie, let's not go overboard, okay? <laughs> Before we get introduced to you, I'd like to get introduced to your lovely guide dog here. Her name is Faye. She's five years old. She's from GDB. And when I got her, I just wanted to kill her. She was oh. the naughtiest dog on the planet. And she was trained as a guide dog already? Oh, yeah. So when I went oh. to get her, she was in San Francisco. And we're at the Embarcadero. I don't know if you've been, but you know, that's a really, really busy place. Uh -huh. And there was five blind people there with a guide dog. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. My dog took off in the middle of Embarcadero. She just took off. Oh, no. <laughs> is she better now? You know how embarrassing that is? Well, you know how embarrassing that is? Not just embarrassing, but like rather non-functional. <laughs> uh, like well, no, she's a good guide dog, but she's very naughty. Very naughty. But she doesn't. she's now five years old. I had her for three years. Aww. And um, she's amazing. She is absolutely amazing. And now I often, you know, if I receive a parcel or something, I often lock her out. She never goes anywhere. She just sits by the door. And if I don't, you know, let her in, if I don't realize that I've lost my dog, she'll wait for about five minutes and then she'll start hurling herself at the door. Oh. It's like, hey, stupid lady, open the door. <laughs> let me in. Yeah. If only dogs could talk, eh? We've thought that so many times. Like, I would love to have a five-minute conversation in English <laughs> with our dog. But, Lowell, seriously, I am just so <laughs> impressed by you. You know, I mean, as an athlete, okay, you know, I expected you to be an elite athlete. Poof. But <laughs> as, as a, a human being, as an intellectual, as an accomplished, you know, you have a master's and, and you're all working the boxes. as a psychologist. I mean, like, how amazing are you? He's turning red here, Maya. Yeah, it's a good thing you, you can't see because you can't see that He's you're turning, turning red. But I agree red. with you, Maya. Oh, I'm so happy. People think if you're blind, you must be obese. And I'm sick and tired of that. I would go to places and they would say, oh, you can't be blind because, you know, you're slim or you're fit or you have all your makeup on, right? Or whatever. But it's nothing to do with visual impairment. It has everything to do with what kind of human being are you? But anyway, so I, I thought I better do a little reading up on lol, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, I was just floored. I was just floored. <laughs> you're super duper amazing, like a whole hundred percent package. Because, you know, I'm not really that impressed by people who are just physically fit and that's amazing because a lot of it, okay, a lot of it's your effort, but a lot of it's also your genetic and luck and so on and so forth. But yeah. to do everything you've accomplished, Law, plus your, you know, not your, just your academic, but your athletic abilities. I mean, you're just, you know, that's how people should be, whether they're sighted mm -hmm. or not. We should have both, not just one or the other. Yeah, and this so, is this is one of the reasons why we're so excited to be a part of Mindset Go and Amazing Race Canada yeah, and yeah. now to do this podcast. It's 
I'd mm -hmm. like to get into the mindset of how people overcome. Because I've been in the darkness and losing sight. We lost our sight at about the same age with about the same, well, with the same eye condition. And we both uh, had to no, find no, our way through. I'm, I'm way older than you are. Oh, but you were you were diagnosed at 24, right? Yeah. Okay. So why don't we start there? Yeah, why don't I was diagnosed at 24. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. you and Lowell both have retinitis pigmentosa, but mm -hmm. it sounds mm -hmm. like your journeys have been pretty different. Lowell's is a genetic condition and his family knew he had it since he was born basically, but he's just been losing his peripheral vision oh. ever since. Whereas you had no idea until you were 24. Can you tell us your Boom. story? I was 23. I had just come back from Paris on a first date with my husband. My husband took me um, to Paris. First date? First day. Paris? Yes, yes. And that is why I you was, married him. I was, <laughs> I was young. I was pretty. You know, Still I are. thought I was a super bimbo. I had, I, I knew nothing. <laughs> I read no books. I was just, I knew I was good looking and I knew the world was my oyster and I, everything was going to be great. I was spoiled and, you know, I had entitlement issues, but that was me. That was me. And I met my husband and he came and he kissed my hand and he said, have you been to Paris? And I said, no. He said, would you like to go? I thought he meant someday would I like to travel <laughs> to Paris? I, I didn't know that he was asking me to go to Paris. Next thing I know, I'm on the plane. I go to Paris and I'm wow. staying at the Crayon, which is the five-star grand hotel. And I'm having the most amazing time. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I love this man. And this man tells me he loves me. Like, you know, this is all on the first date. Our first date lasted a week. And it was amazing. And we came home and he wouldn't let me leave. And he's like, okay, you know what? This is it. And, and so we were together since the first date. So I, I'm thinking my life is so fantastic. And I had this fabulous job at Holt Renfrew as an executive assistant, which means that you got 40% off anything you bought. And it's a perfect job for a super bimbo. Okay. <laughs> then I start to fall down the stairs and I walk into glass doors. Now I don't do drugs. I don't drink. So I, I wasn't sure what the heck was going on. Was it that you um, weren't seeing things, but you didn't know you weren't seeing them yet? I had no idea. All I knew was that I had severe myopia. So I always knew that I had to get new glasses every eight months or so. Oh, wow. And I was wearing contacts. So my husband said, you know, I've got a friend who is an eye doctor. Why don't we go see him? So I saw him. And he kept on making me buy more and more expensive contact lenses. And I, I said to my husband, this can't be right. This cannot be right. And one day, it was a very strange day. I was minding my own business, working at the office. And I'm reading a report. And lol, I don't know if you ever had this experience, but the letters started moving like worms. Ew. You know how scary that is? You know how freaky that is? Yeah. I had a really good relationship with my boss. My boss came out. And I said, Perry, Perry, the letters are moving. She's like, what are you talking about? So she calls me a taxi. I get into the taxi. I go to the hospital. I call. It's before the cell phone. Okay. This is how old I am. It's before there was no such thing as cell phones back then. Oh, that's not true. There were people carrying giant bricks. Yeah. Like they had a separate shoulder bag. Yeah. Giant bricks. Anyway, so, but I didn't have one of those. Yeah. Back, anyway, so back I get last to century. The, yeah. Back in the 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I get to the emergency and I'm just freaking out. So the receptionist said, what's wrong? And I said, listen, I don't do drugs. I'm not drunk, but uh, there's something wrong with my eyes or my brain. I said, I was minding my own business working and, and I was reading a report and the letters started moving and she's giving me a dirty look, you know? And uh, anyway, so she tells me to sit. I sit, I wait. This doctor shows up, Dr. Peter Gershak. He's still my doctor. And this has been decades. Anyway, he's lovely and he has a great sense of humor. Mm. And uh, he says, okay, so the letters are moving, huh? Okay, well, let's have a look at you. <laughs> and he looks and he says, ah, he says, you know, I'm not a retina specialist, but I, I think there's something going on. I suspect something. And so he said, I want you to see some specialists. So I felt better. I, I said, so I'm not insane, right? Hmm. And he said, no, you, no, you're definitely not insane, but it's de definitely neurologically something happening. So he set me up some appointments with some specialists. So the first one I went to see, I swear to God, this is what he said to me. He said, Maya, I just want to tell you that there's nothing wrong with you. It's like a it's hysteria reaction. Hmm. Uh -huh. You're having a 
hysteric reaction. And I'm like, what the F bleep, bleep, bleep? Like, really? I don't think so. Although I was a bimbo, I, I was always fairly intelligent. You know, you are born with a certain amount of IQ. And I thought, okay, this is just not right. I went and told my husband and my husband said, no, you're, you're definitely not a hysteric female. He says, you do lose your cool occasionally. But he said, no, I, I think the doctor's wrong. So I went back to Dr. Gershak. Dr. Gershak was very annoyed with the other doctor mm-hmm. and made him write me a letter of apology, which was so oh, nice. Wow. Yeah, this was way back when this happened when I was 23. I am now 58. So then I went to see another doctor. And this doctor wasn't sure. He was a retina specialist, but he wasn't sure. He, he didn't know what was going on. So they sent me off to another doctor. And this was a Dr. Amanda Korn. He said, I think you have retinitis pigmentosa. I said, what is that? He said, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. And I'm like, am I going to die? He said, nah, I don't <laughs> think so. And so he took some blood and he, he did some tests and he took some, oh, he didn't take blood. He injected some dye into my arm so he could take those pictures. And he made me do a Goldman field test. And I oh, obviously, you know, he kept on saying, you're, press, you're supposed to press the button when you like see the light wiggling. But I said, well, I, if I see it, I'd press it. Yeah. And he goes, it's going by now. And I'm like, but I don't see it. But the thing is, usually RP, you lose your center vision and you have your peripheral vision. But in my case, I have peripheral, but no center. Mm-hmm. So it's oh, okay. so an odd shape. But Lowell, which way are you? You're the normal way, I'll bet you. sound pretty normal, not like me, crazy. <laughs> my vision is, who you ask. <laughs> is the opposite of yours, correct? More of the, yeah. more of the uh, peripheral impacted and not the center vision. So I'm you down see? to about so, 10% center. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the center vision is starting to be impacted more now that pretty much all the peripheral vision is hey, shot. So, so I shared how old I am. So, how old are you, if I may ask? Would you like to guess? What by, still, by the sound of his voice? Yeah, I, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. Okay, so I did limited research on Lowell because you know. Did you say sexy voice? Yeah. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> no, 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 no. Hello, just, hello, you know, Maya. Welcome say, to obstacles and opportunities. You get excited. Yeah, yeah, she got yeah. excited so, when I said sexy. So I gotta say, okay, going back to sexy, <laughs> I have a lot of friends for, who are in their twenties, mostly male. I'm not dating any of them. I, I don't date anymore. I, I decided dating was for the birds, and I don't date anymore. But I have lovely, lovely young male friends, and we go running together, skiing together. One of them teaches me boxing. Anyway, yesterday, Lassa came to my house to help me set up the camera. And I I said, okay, so what does Julie look like? And he's like, she's really cute. She's kind of, kind of behind her husband. And I think she's like holding on to his neck from behind. And he goes, yeah, she's really cute. So I, I, di- I didn't ask what Lowell looked like. I just figured Lowell looked like a jock, right? Oh, yeah, An intellectual jock. Yeah. So um, that, that was my guess after having read a little bit about him. But Lassa being a gorgeous 25-year-old Danish guy, the first thing he said was, yeah, Julie's cute. Let me, I didn't ask about Julie. <laughs> but apparently, Who cares about Julie? Very cute. <laughs> Julie, Julie yeah. is Thank you, Lassa. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, if you want yeah. some measurements, yeah. Lowell's about six foot two, usually... Just under 200 pounds, would you say, Lowell? And like solid muscle. Yeah, he's quite a specimen. Show off. Julie's showing off. <laughs> Julie's showing off. <laughs> Anyways, what Can were we talking know? about? I think we we're talking about, I think we're talking about age. Age. So. Oh, yeah. Age, oh, yeah. So age, that's so, right. Okay. So I'm going to say, I'm just going to go by Lowell's academic achievements. I'm going to guess Lowell is still really young. And my guess is going to be mm, 32 and three quarters. Yeah, I like the three quarters part. Very, very creative. Yeah. I have been 32 and three quarters in the past, but I am a few years older than that. Yeah. So I'm I'm 39 right now. I will be 40 in November. Oh my God, you're old. Yeah. What happened to you? <laughs> he actually just, a few weeks ago, he was signing up for something and he was like, wait, how old am I? Julie, am I, am I 39? I'm going to be 40. Am I going to be 40? <laughs> And this, yeah, yeah, you think that's bad. You, you just wait till hmm, you hit 50. So I'm going to be 59 this year. Next year, I'm going to be 60. I get asked out by lots of younger guys. I don't wear makeup. I usually meet them like at the climbing gym or running or doing sports or walking my dog. So my husband was 28 years older than me. So my husband oh, wow. died five years ago. And then I dated this guy named 
David, and then that didn't work out. And I dated another guy named David, that didn't work out. I got engaged to another guy named David, David. that didn't work out. <laughs> and I just decided, you know what? And then my girlfriend. How about you steer clear of the Davids and then, and then yeah, carry well, on? Exactly. So, and then my girlfriend <laughs> took me out and we were at the B bar at the Four Seasons and my girlfriend's whispering to me, she goes, oh my God, this guy is really, really gorgeous. He's probably about six foot seven wow. and he's ripped. And so he comes and he says, hi, my name is David no. Sinclair. <laughs> so, so he was I out. said, how do you do? Very nice to meet you. I have to go home now. And I just went straight home <laughs> and I stopped dating that day. So I haven't dated since my last favorite, but I'm not planning on dating. But anyway, so Lal, you have a much, much younger voice, much, much younger. When I read a little bit of your bio, I just kept on thinking, wow, what a, what a well-rounded, nice, intelligent, healthy young person, you know, because the minute you have a disability, it's like they want you to be a loser. I think this world is set up for people with disability to be a loser. I feel like that's how the world is kind of, Where do you, know? you think that comes from, Maya? So people may be able to ignore the fact that you're a different race. I, I think they're, they're quite capable of, if they like you, um, you know, you're, you're reasonably intelligent, has a reasonable sense of humor. I think race thing can be worked out. But what cannot be worked out is the atavistic instinct of looking at a damaged animal. So, you know, we're a pack animal. And so when you look at wolves, for instance, they shun their own pack member if they're disabled or they're somehow malformed when they're born. Mm. And I think this is what it is. And which one of the herd member gets killed? Like if you're looking at a bunch of um, antelopes or something, it's the babies and it's, it's the old and the crippled and the disabled, right? And so I think human beings, as intelligent as we like to think we are, and, and we run around going, nah, 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 we're a bipedal species, big whoop-de-doo. I think it's the same. We have atavistic instinct. And I think that instinct is if you're disabled in any way, you're substandard. You're a danger to the pack. And we don't want to be like you, so you freak us out. Mm. And I don't think it's because you know people are bad. I think it's just... Um, so after my husband died, one of my girlfriends took me to what they call a meat market at a keg. And, mm-hmm. and she says, okay, there's a really cute guy. He's looking at you. He's looking at you. He's smiling. I'm going to go to the washroom so he can come over and you can have a talk, right? So she goes and she's watching. She's watching. And, you know, we're very high tech. So I have my AirPods in and she's whispering to me, okay, he's coming over. Okay. He's standing in front of you. So, you know, I look up and I say, hi, you know, as though I could see. And, and uh, he's, he says, can I sit? I'm like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And we're having a little chat and, and he says, we should go out and blah, blah, blah. And everything's going really, really well. And my dog, not this one, my one who went to heaven, she got mm-hmm. old and died. Mm-hmm. Um, Holly stands up and she looked just like this one, Black Lab. And uh, he said, that's a dog. I said, yes. He said, that's a guide dog. I said, Yes. He said, is that your dog? Mm. I said, yes. And that was it. He didn't even say goodbye. He just got up and left. Oh, wow. It was very, very interesting. And it's not because I don't think it's because he's a bad person. Mm. I think it's because it just freaked them out. Yeah. People are scared of their own discomfort. too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sense of society feeling like those who have a visual impairment are defined by what they can't do, right? You can't drive. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Tell me a bit about that, how you think families and society thinks about the can't word with a disability. So I was diagnosed with RP by the time I was fully diagnosed. I had even gone to Boston Eye and Ear Infirmary and and met the famous Dr. Elliot Burstman did all of that. and, And he diagnosed me as having definite RP. I came home and by then I'd been married to my husband for a year and a half. So my husband, first of all, before I told my parents, um, when I came home, I came home with, I think, six boxes of designer shoes. And he said to me, he said, oh, dear, I guess this means that it's bad news. Mm. And I said, yes, I I said, I've been told that I am going to go blind because I was already moving fairly quickly with my deterioration. 
And my husband, who had a great sense of humor, said to me, he said, thank God, my husband was a writer. We didn't make a lot of money. And so he said, thank God, you know, a girl can only go blind once because otherwise I would go bankrupt. So that was my husband's reaction. He said to me, I love you very much. We're not going to get divorced because I offered him a divorce because it's not fair. Because when I met him, I was able-bodied and it was only a year and a half or so. And I said, you know, he said, no, he said, don't be silly. But he said, I'll make you a deal. Don't ever, ever ask me to help you do anything. He was really tough. I was not allowed to ask him for Mm. any help. And so I can shorten your pants. I can do anything that a regular housewife can do. And so in a way, he really turned me into a super able blind person. Having said Mm. that, so that day when I came home from Boston, I went to see my parents. And then I told my parents and my mother started crying. And, you know, that's kind of natural. But then she started talking to me like this. And I said, mom, why are you shouting? She said, oh, because you're going blind. Mm. And I said, mom, I'm going blind. I'm not going deaf. You know, but a lot of people talk to you louder or they talk to you like this. Okay, here it is. I'm like, I didn't have a lobotomy, just going blind. Thank you very much. (sighs) Yes, the world is designed to think glass half empty. I've always lived my life as glass half full. So it's been a challenge, but you know, it wasn't insurmountable. Mm -hmm. Now I'm I'm totally blind. I have no vision whatsoever. And every time there's been a challenge, I've thought of a way to overcome it. Mm -hmm. I race for BC Paranordic team. Mm. I think I'm the oldest blind skier Canada's ever had. Mm. Right now, I'm the only one who's competing. I have no competition. I went to Canada Winter Games two years ago. There were four, including me, who was visually impaired. I was the oldest by a mile. And I mean, I medaled and my best medal was a silver medal. And I beat the 17-year-old girl. Hmm. And I still remember. She was so mad. She was so surprised. You know, how does this old woman beat me? Right? She had RP, she was partially sighted, very cute girl. Anyway, when I could see, I never skied. My husband was much older than me, and he was very ill for a long time with all kinds of diseases. And so he was sick for pretty much the last 16 years of his life, which means I, I played nursemaid, and, and I really didn't get to do much. But when I turned 47, so 11 years ago, I wasn't working out. I was just your regular housewife. I was kind of fat. I'm only five feet tall. And then I was told that I had breast cancer. So I had breast cancer surgery. I was super lucky, super, super lucky. I was able to have a lumpectomy. And thank God the doctor, he had the most amazing technique. So I have no, like next to no scar. He did such a good job. That was 11 years ago. And so after that, I thought, okay, you know what? I don't want to be a fat middle-aged housewife, not my thing. So I decided that I wanted to be an athlete and I was never an athlete. I I was that kid at kindergarten, you know, you have in the summer, in June, before the school goes on holidays, you have these parent days where you, you parents come and you have a picnic and Mm -hmm. you have like sack races and you know, those silly games. (laughs) So my grandmother said to me, she said, I have to tell you, this is a grandmother who loved me very much. She said, you are the most uncoordinated person I've ever seen because I wasn't good at any sports. You know, I was a very sickly child. I was a princess. To this day, my mother's very, very beautiful. My father always said, if you had my brains and your mother's looks, you would have owned the world. Unfortunately, I got my mother's brains and my dad's looks, but so you're beautiful and intelligent. So obviously both ah, your parents you, are really you, good you. looking and yeah, intelligent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but my mother's really good looking. Anyway, so she dressed me up like a little, like I never wore the same outfit twice to school. So no wonder other girls didn't like me, you know, but I didn't know that. When you were six years old, you don't know. You don't know any different. Yeah. Yeah. I guess when I was 47, I could still see myself just a little bit, not much, but just a little bit. And I didn't look like that cocky, pretty sexy young woman who took Paris by storm. So I I decided, what the hell? You know, Madonna kept on reinventing her every five seconds. Remember she was wearing the corset outside? 
<laughs> and I thought, what the heck? What the heck? You know, like, why not me? Why not me? So did you start wearing the corset on the outside? No way. No, I had better taste. I had better taste. But I decided that I should have the body, right? So oh, I started exercising. And I started looking around for volunteers. And one day, this really good-looking young guy knocked on the door. His name is Omar Hafez. And he said, I'm your volunteer. I'm here to run with you. So Omar has finished all his schooling. And now he's my financial advisor. And he's a vice president at the TD Bank. Mm. Wow. So that was my very first. He used to do duathlons and he used to win races. A super fit guy. Anyway, so he took me for my first run. We didn't know how to run, didn't know. So he heard from some other blind person that maybe... Maybe, honey, do, do not lick yourself. In a, it's like we're, we're on camera, okay? Look, look and, and smile. We can, only look, see, look and be pretty. we can only see her face, so she can look whatever she wants. <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, so we were just sort of trying things out. And first time, I think we ran with a shoelace, you know, mm. as a tether. Oh, yeah. So I remember Omar is a product of Canada. Only in Canada can you get an Omar Hafez. Omar's father was Egyptian. Omar's mother is from Czech. So you got the Muslim and the Catholic. And some, he says, sometimes I feel like a Muslim. Sometimes I feel like a Catholic. You know, just like that almond joy. Sometimes you feel like an aunt. Sometimes you don't. <laughs> <laughs> he has a great sense of humor. And he's very diverse in every way. He loves running and he wanted to give back to the community. So we started running and I remember he was so excited. He came and he said, I'd buy you a present. Now, I'm a woman. I love presents. But I'm thinking, what could this kid have possibly bought me that he's so excited that he had? He said, I have to come in and show it to you today. So I said, fine. And uh, so he showed up and he bought me a 5K run at the zoo. So in mm. Toronto Zoo, ah. there's a 5K run and a 10K run. So that was his present to me was an entrance to a 5k run. And so we were running and we were doing really, really well. We're running inside the zoo and there are steps like wooden steps. Mm. And he couldn't believe that middle of a race, there was wooden steps. So he's so frustrated. He just picks me up, puts me like literally like a cartoon, puts me under his armpit <laughs> and, and like, you know, climbs like eight steps, two at a time and plunks me down. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> anyway, so I just decided that I really, really enjoyed running. And you were in your late 40s at this point already? I was 48. Okay, wow. So 47 was a cancer. Oh, no, no. So you know what? I started running right after I had surgery in July. So by August, I was running. And so that's when Omar came. Mm. He got me really excited about running. He made running mm. so much fun. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, we should do a 10K. Mm. And I'm like, really? And so we did Sporting Life 10K. Oh, my God. Like, Lol, do you ever come out to Toronto and do runs and stuff? No? I come out there to do cycling. I'd, I've done some marathon. I did a marathon in Auckland and some local ones, but I haven't run in Toronto yet. No. Auckland, New, New Zealand? Zealand? Yeah. My first I print. hate you. I hate you. I yeah. hate you. We lived there I for a year. So but Lowell signed up. Really? Lowell signed up oh for that God. marathon before I had a job because he was doing his master's, a, a distance yeah. program. And so okay, we okay. thought, oh, it's a good year for us to live abroad and explore wow. New Zealand and we didn't have kids yet or anything so nice so lol how did you do how did Good. you do I lost a toenail <gasps> and you ran into oh. a tree and I branch. ran into a tree branch and I think I broke my glasses but other than that <laughs> I did actually really well he came back to me a little bit beat up <laughs> but it was amazing yeah oh running over God. the bridge and so what was your time do you remember do you remember your time I do not remember my time I but could look it up less but... than a day <laughs> just kidding <laughs> <laughs> be nice. <laughs> anyway, so he really got me into running. And then I went to buy running shoes. And there was this really adorable sounding man. He worked there and he was telling another person that he was coaching one of his co-workers and she wanted to do a three-hour marathon and he had her up to now three hours. The last marathon she ran was three hours and 12 minutes. So she had like shaved off half an hour, which is mm -hmm. huge, right? So I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, well, maybe I want to go run a marathon. How ridiculous am I? I never ran a marathon before. At that point, the most I've ever run was a 10K. So I just go up to a total stranger and I say, hi, 
I just heard what you said. I'm totally blind and I'm running 10Ks right now, but I would like to run a marathon one day. Would you consider being my coach? And there was dead silence. It seemed like an hour, but in, in reality, I've been told it was just a few seconds. Oh. <laughs> he said, uh, well, he said, well, okay. He was adventurous. Now, he's an Englishman who grew up in Zimbabwe. He has great sense of adventure and let's get a done-ness. So he became my running coach. Cool. And I remember the first day, so we had this lovely cemetery called Mount Pleasant Cemetery and everybody runs there. Even Olympic runners run there. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And when my husband died, I buried him there. His best friend, like a lot of my you know, husband and his friends are buried there. And it's lovely to run around. Mm -hmm. I say hi to everybody. Anyway, Alistair said, okay, you know what? We're going to go run there because it's safe. So we started running and I had to stop every three minutes. I just couldn't breathe and, and I was so thirsty. Next day, he came with a camel back and a water belt and a handheld water bottle. And he had to fill that up twice. Oh, wow. That's how he trained me. And he got me to qualify for Boston mm. because I wanted to go to Boston. Mm. You know, how ridiculous is that? But he got it's, me qualified. Not ridiculous. I'm a little ridiculous. When people tell me I can't do something, I like to be a contrarian. I like to prove the world wrong. You know, I enjoy it. I enjoy saying, F you. <laughs> Look, I've done it. Right? <laughs> That's been me. Anyway, so we qualified and it was the most amazing day of my life when I qualified for Boston. What year was that? I must have been 49. So it was nine years ago. So I wanted to do Boston on my 50th birthday. So when I qualified and right before I went to Boston, somehow CBC and City TV and everybody got the wind of it and said, you know, there's this old woman who just started running and she's going to Boston. So I was, you know, it was all televised and I was on CBC and on the national and they had my last name wrong. It's Jonas with an A, not Joan. <laughs> I got there. It was the most beautiful day. In Boston, you're only allowed to have one guide at a time and there's all sorts of rules and you had to qualify. Anyway, so Omar started me off and then he passed me on to my coach Alistair halfway and we're running and everything's going great. And then I'm getting really crampy and I'm not doing well and I'm getting whiny and, you know, they lie to you. There's a thing called a heartbreak hill. It's not one hill. Heartbreak hill is a series of three effing hills. And I say that very sincerely. <laughs> it, it's not one. And I just never seen anything like it. And I'm crying and I'm trying to run. I can't run. I'm lying on the middle of the road because I'm having horrible cramps. And my coach is very embarrassed that this woman refuses to get up and I'm lying there screaming bloody murder. <laughs> and so he finally gets me up. So we're at the last mile. It's the penultimate mile. I step on the mat and one of the marshals stopped me. They said, ma'am, we're sorry. Your race is done for the day. And all I could think was, yeah, I know I'm slow, but how dare you stop me? Yeah, I'm slow, but there are people behind me, they're slower. And he says, no, 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 miss, miss, there's been an explosion and there's been fatalities and it's not getting all clued in. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, what is this guy talking about? Because, mm -hmm. you know, you got to remember, I've just ran 25 miles. Yeah. And I thought I was hallucinating, right? And so out of context, nobody's expecting yeah, that. Well, exactly, exactly, right? So then he finally, he shakes me just gently because I'm, I'm not all quite there. And he says, I'm telling you that there was a bomb. It exploded and people are injured and we think people have died. Mm. Finally, it clicks and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm a little hysterical and I'm crying and my coach never sheds tears, right? He's very stoic and he takes me aside and I'm thinking, oh my God, my husband's watching this on TV, you know? And so he doesn't know what happened to me. So I'm trying to get to a phone, can't get to a phone. All the phones have been shut down because they exploded it with a cell phone. So all the cell phone, all the home phone, but people there were so amazing. It was April and it's very cold when you're not running. And all I had was a t-shirt and, you know, like a Lululemon singlet and shorts. 
So when you're not running, you're freezing. Mm -hmm. So they took me in, not just me, but other runners, and they gave us like hot drinks and let us use the facilities. And and we tried to telephone, but we Mm -hmm. couldn't call anybody. So one of the nice people who opened their homes to us got on their laptop and sent George an email. It didn't go right away, but apparently George got that email a couple of hours later when they put all the systems back. But we were stuck there at the commons, Boston commons. And, you know, we were not allowed to really go anywhere. There was no transportation, no cars, no nothing. And I am so sore and I'm cold and I can't walk. And somehow my coach went and got a blanket for me. My hotel was across the bridge. It was pretty far away. But the closest hotel was the Four Seasons. We arrived at the Four Seasons and they were taking care of lots of other marathoners. And they were all kind of sitting on the floor and the manager of the hotel came out and gave us drinks and food and blankets and towels. And he asked me where I was staying and I told him and my coach was like, you know, she's blind, she's a para-athlete. And is there anyone we can pay to drive her back to her hotel? Because it's not a walking distance. He said, no problem. So he gets a chauffeur and a limo Mm. (laughs) and And they won't take any money, right? No money. So I remember, Mm -hmm. so I went to run the Boston Marathon the year after. And I sought that manager out. And I bought him a very nice present. Mm. The kindness you got from another human being in that moment. You remembered. Yeah, of course. It was incredible. The generosity. But he wasn't just doing it for me. He was doing it for everybody. I remember when I called my husband. He didn't say oh, my darling, I love you. You know, I'm so happy you're okay. Remember, my husband was very ill for the last 16 years of his life. And he said, how dare you? You could have been injured. You could have been disabled further. And he said, who would have taken care of me? I just laughed and I'm thinking, really? You know, because my husband was a motorcycle racer. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah. And he raced right up until he was about 60. Did I complain when he fell off the bike and broke all kinds of bits and pieces? You know, I didn't complain. And I reminded him of that. He said, yeah, yeah. And then he sold his, all the motorcycles and he bought a plane. Oh, wow. And he got one of his buddies who was an Air Canada pilot to teach him how to fly the plane. And he got his license and we flew around in a little Cessna for a while until he got his Parkinson's and then he had to give everything up. Mm. I know I digress a lot, but that's how old people are. Anyway, that that was my experience with Boston. Wow, that's fascinating. I wanted to then ski. What was the transition to skiing? Just because you needed something to do in the winter? Oh, I always wanted to ski. I always wanted to ski. I thought, you know, they look so good skiing. (laughs) They look so elegant. And they looked like they were always having so much fun. Not so much the downhillers, because it was just too quick, you know, and you go whoosh, 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 and you were down. But cross country skiers, I thought, "Mm, super hot. So I wanted to be one of those. Never skied a day in my life. I had no idea how to ski, do anything. So I went to a place called Ski for Light. It was started by a bunch of Norwegians in Norway, and they would take blind people skiing. They were doing it in the U.S. And so I went, had a fabulous time, but I wanted to go fast. So I take my own way to Canmore, Alberta, and I saw all these lovely people from Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And they said, why are you alone? And I told them, and they said, well, why don't you come and ski with us? We'll take care of you. We'll coach you. We don't care how old you are. You seem pretty fit and we'll let you go as far as you can. Mm -hmm. And so they adopted me, not this year, obviously with Mm -hmm. COVID, but after my husband passed away, I usually live in Vancouver all winter long. Oh, cool. So I'm there. Yeah. I'm there December, January, February, March. And they've been amazing. I have a woman coach named Jessica Hayes, and Jessica is a high-performance coach. Do you guys know Cypress Mountain in Vancouver? Sounds familiar. It's a mountain in the middle of the city, and it's pretty steep. You drive up, and then you park your car, and you go skiing. Anyway, (laughs) she really wanted me to learn how to ski because I can't see, and I never skied before. She couldn't really teach me all the forms and because I had good cardio I could kind of putter around but it was it looked horrible I wasn't moving anywhere I was wasting a lot of time 
anyway, so she put me on roller skis in the middle of summer. She's super fit. She's running backwards up the hill with cars coming, literally like big trucks, cars honking at us. It's a highway. And I'm roller skiing upwards. Mm. And that's how she taught me how to skate ski. Oh, cool. You know, she was determined. I was determined. And we got it done. It's amazing when you have people who want to help you and they have faith. Mm -hmm. So when I think about it, I just, I get, I get a little emotional. Mm. Sorry. Mm, Somebody who believed in you, gave you the chance. But anyways, Lowell, you started young, right? I mean, although you were going blind, you knew you were going blind. It it didn't come to you as a Mm -hmm. utter shock, right? Yeah, I couldn't see even before I could speak. So my mom would know that I'd reach my hand out in the dark without being able to see. So I was night blind just as a small child. I had glasses by the time I was in grade one and all the way through. It was difficult to play team sports and be encouraged to do that. Did you ever try playing baseball? I did. Oh. I Baseball is not a very good sport. Any, if there's a ball in people, I'd often see, I could watch in basketball, I could watch the ball, but not the people, or yeah. I'd watch the people and not exactly. the ball. So yeah, it's yeah. hard to be, be engaged yeah. in those sports for sure. I didn't know, like, apparently I must have had RP, like, wait, like, you know, I must have been born with it, but I didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I was in school and kids play softball, I always got hit in the face, Mm -hmm. you know, because I didn't know. I did not know I was going to go blind. So yours is obviously not a family. There's not a genetic component. No, no. It's what's called a spontaneous mutation. Okay. Whereas Lowell's brother has it as well, his older brother, who's five years older than him, and his Uh... his mom. And, and his grandpa. And my grandpa. And there's a long family history so of yeah. it. So we're kind of a bit of, it still was new new days and it was an early diagnosis. Yeah. We all kind of got diagnosed yeah. at the same time. But it it's something we knew a little bit more of. And I was mm-hmm. adapting my life kind of throughout that period of time. But it's a progressive loss. And even as you were losing your vision, age 24 and up until kind of 47, 48, you're saying you had a bit of glimpse. That slow yeah. loss, you have to continually grieve continually give up something you were once able to do so for me it wasn't a grieving process so when i knew that i was going to go completely i could just feel it Mm. every day i woke up and i look around and i saw less and less and i just thought okay god let's just let it happen today let me just let's get on with this right Mm. so when i realized i put my contact lens in that morning and then i took it out and put it in and took it out and there was no difference Mm. Would you believe I was actually happy? Mm. It was done. The process was done, right? I'm at the next level. So I'm totally blind. Mm -hmm. And I was relieved. And then because now I can get on with my life. I'm not waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm a doer. I'm very goal oriented. And I decided that I was going to be the best darn blind female on the planet. I don't think I'm the best, but I think I'm up there. Definitely up there. And weren't you the first blind Canadian to ever do the Boston Marathon? Blind Canadian no. woman? Are you sure? No. I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. I'm positive. No, no, no. Can there we were just a say few that you other are? ones. I, I would love <laughs> to say yes. Okay, can I be a little conceited? I was probably the best dressed blind woman from Canada okay. to do the Boston Marathon. We'll include that How in your that? I, I was in a really nice Lululemon outfit. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So when I do any sports other than skiing, right? When I do sports, I need a guide. I need somebody to do it with me. Mm-hmm. Like with tandem biking or when I run, I have to run with a tether. But what I like about skiing is that my guide skis in front of me. I'm not physically attached to him. Mm. He wears a speaker on his back and all he says is, yep, 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 yep. And I just listen to that and follow. And so I have a sense of freedom. I'm not mm-hmm. tethered. I'm not attached. I can go as fast as I want. It is an amazing feeling of being alive and being free. Yeah. Whereas as much as I like running and tandem biking, uh, I have to do it with somebody. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. But Lol, you tandem, obviously, right? I do. You don't, you don't get on a bike by yourself. I mean, you could if there's nobody around, but when you race, you tandem, When we right? race, we tandem, yeah. yeah. And the interesting yeah. thing with that is I'm able to also get that feeling of freedom. It's a little different. And when I ski, I, I understand that feeling. But when I'm racing an elite field, we're going fast. We've been 104 kilometers an hour on our bicycle and taking corners and going fast. And there's this sense of just being alive. 
there's very few people in this world who can go this fast. So I'm like you relying on these amazing athletes to be able to achieve this great. He can exert that amount of power and not put himself or others in danger. Right. So skiing, yes, there are risks, but because you're not doing it in the middle of the street (laughs) with people in cars, everybody's Mm -hmm. skiing. Everybody's at least in a race that we're all supposed to go the same direction. (laughs) Doesn't always happen, but There's no other blind people, right? So when I go racing, I think the group is called midgets. They're like kids, a certain age group called midgets. And, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm always kind of in with them. They're only like eight, nine years old. And some kids, they ski backwards. Like they get turned around and it's pretty exciting. One of the most interesting, fun, exciting time was my guide and I, we were in a race and we were going downhill. It was icy that day. I usually, you know, I'm a bit of a chicken. I don't, but I thought, what the hell? And I was going for it. And my guy, Jamie, he had a little kid jump in front of him. Mm. And so he didn't know what to do. He didn't, he couldn't really tell me to slow down. So I ended up hitting him from behind, but I'm short. He's tall like you. He's about six foot tall. I'm five foot nothing. And now I weigh 98 pounds. My head got wedged between his bum And I couldn't stand up because my skis were wedged halfway between his. And I knew that if I moved, I'm going to fall. And I didn't want to fall because at least I was going down the hill beautifully. And I kept on thinking, I hope to God he doesn't flatulate. I hope to God he doesn't flatulate. (laughs) When you said in his butt, did you mean literally between his butt cheeks? Was your face? Uh, yeah. 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 My you nose paint quite was a picture, Maya. in between his butt cheeks. Yes. Yes. That was one of the most. And, and the other one, the other most memorable moment of my racing career was a Canada Winter Game. All these people who told me I couldn't do it, they were all there. And I'm crossing the finish line and I knew I came in second. I beat that 17-year-old kid. So the woman who actually beat me that day, who got the gold, was a cyclist. She's super fast. She's about late 30s, early 40s, and she's from Quebec. And she's a mother of four. So she came and gave me a big hug. She's so happy that somebody my age could do, you know, like, because she is, she's like 40, so she's not spring chicken anymore. And so it was, it was just an amazing, amazing Mm. moment. And, you know, like I'm able to do all the sports I want to do because Mm -hmm. I have incredible volunteers, incredible Mm -hmm. athlete volunteers, Mm -hmm. coaches, not just one, but I have two coaches. They're both women. They're amazing. So Jessica Hayes, amazing coach out of Vancouver. And I have another coach, my coach's best girlfriend, Andrea She's a high performance coach up at Mount Washington. Mm. Two of them work me hard and all sorts of volunteers and sponsors. And they put me up because, you know, I can't afford to stay there for like three, four months. I get passed around, you know, nice people take me in two weeks here, three weeks there. So I've been super, super, super lucky. Maya, what have you learned from the volunteers, the pilots, your coaches? What are the top lessons that they've taught you in your life? generosity and just huge human kindness Mm. and sorry every time I think about it I get so emotional because how often you get to make somebody's dream come true Mm -hmm. they made my dream come true as a team wow so what helps Maya Jonas get through the hard times what do you tell yourself when it's hard my dog gets me through Mm -hmm. she's the cuddliest most super wonderful dog on the planet and my friends. Oh my God. I have amazing, amazing friends. I love the opera and, and a lot of my friends don't like opera. So instead of pestering people to go, I just go with my dog. And I was there and this guy says, Hey, don't buy a ticket. I've got an extra ticket. And I don't talk to strange men. Like I, you know, I'm not 23 anymore. And, and I'm like, I, I ignore him. And a total stranger who's standing behind me, she whispers in my ear, take his ticket. He's really gorgeous. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, she says, take it, take it. Really? He looks like a really nice guy. He's really gorgeous. So I took it and then we became friends and it turns out that he's a super athlete. He's 25 Danish kid. He doesn't live in Toronto. He's got to drive like two and a half hours to get here. Oh, wow. So he comes at least twice a month to take me running. And, um, oh. you know, like my tree dies, my Japanese maple dies. Mm. 
So as a present, he went and bought me a Japanese maple, dug up the old tree and planted a new tree for me. Oh, that's kind. Yeah. You ask me, love, what keeps me going? This is what keeps me going. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have all these lovely, amazing young people in my life. And it's absolutely fantastic. That's what keeps me going. Yeah. You've seen the best of humanity. And the worst. And the worst. But focus on the best. <laughs> the best is what gets you through it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, sometimes worse gets me through, too, because I like to prove people wrong, right? right? right. I'm like, F you. You don't think I can do it? I'll do it. And I'll do it better than you. <laughs> we need to find the motivation. I had a coach who put me in a tree. And obviously, I don't ski with this person anymore. We were going down a hill. And I said, are you sure? He said, yes, hurry up. Come on down. You're perfectly fine. And I went into a tree, cracked my head open. Oh. I cracked my C3 and 6. Oh, geez. And I was lying in bed for 40 days. So I would oh, get wow. up, take care of my husband, and go back to bed. Oh, no. When I got a little bit better, I get up, take care of my husband, go to the gym for 20 minutes, come home, and go to bed. Oh. I was doing that for 40 days. I started running again 40 days after my accident. I love it when people say, oh, you can't do that. Oh, Maya, you can't do that. Mm. You know, tell me, tell me what I can't do. I'll do it. I have a good time. Did I read correctly? You're in Lethbridge? We are in Lethbridge, and I think that you've been here before. You have a Lethbridge connection? Yeah, yeah. So after the Boston bombing incident, I got a call from Erin. Yep, Erin Pinder. Yeah, Erin Pinder. And Sean. Yeah, and she said, there's a guy named, oh God, what is his name? Uh, you know, I'm so bad, but I'm old. So I, I have a legitimate reason for not being able to remember names. Anyway, so he read about me because people wrote stories about me and stuff. So he said to Erin, you know, we should have this woman because apparently they have a speaker come once a year and mm. speak. So they invited me and I got to go and I spoke at the uh, University of Lethbridge Awesome! and I had such a good time and everybody was lovely. And Erin and her husband took me downhill skiing up at some mountain. Castle Mountain. I bet it was Castle Mountain. And did you go with Daryl? Oh my God. Do you know Daryl? Yes. He leads CADS and we ski with CADS. It's him. Yes. He was funny. He was lovely. Mm-hmm. First thing he said to me, he says, my ancestors come from Okinawa. We're tough. You know, I'm like, okay, okay. Oh, he and his wife, Lisa, run that program and they've been doing so yeah. for 30 oh, to 35 amazing. years, I think. Yeah. He taught our boys yeah. how to ski and yeah. he's, he's helped us learn how to ski better. So it's awesome. We've had Do that. Do you have children? I didn't know you had children. Oh my God. Yeah, they're okay. eight and nine and they're really fun. They can do a lot of things with us and we're just waiting for the day that they can pilot Lowell in the tandem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, listen, that day will come soon. Time goes so fast. Yeah, no kidding. I'm five foot seven and our nine-year-old is up to my chin already. So Wow. You guys are tall people. My husband was six foot two. I've mm. always only been five feet. So mm. I always felt like a midget amongst the giants. I went to a high school that had predominantly Dutch kids and four of Uh my closest girlfriends were six feet tall. So I always felt really short. (gasps) And then I went to university and I was like looking down at everybody and I was like, what? I'm like average to tall. (laughs) I'm above average height. Mm. It was shocking. Oh my God. Yeah. Now, before we go, I mm-hmm. am an ambassador um, for um, Cycle Foresight, and I it's my job to plug Cycle Foresight. Okay, yeah. let's let's get you to plug it. Yeah, go for it. Lowell, do you do Cycle Foresight? Yeah, so I'm also an ambassador. I doing okay. some videos for them. So I help lead the Zwift, the online ride for Cycle Foresight, and yeah. so this year, yeah. June 19th, I believe it is. Cycle for Sight has been absolutely, absolutely, like before Cycle for, I never even tandem bike before Cycle for Sight. And when I was out in Vancouver, Dr. Janet, she's a sports med doctor who just retired. She's also my guide. So I was skiing and one of my girlfriends, who's not that good, she put me in a tree and she saw that. And next day she said to me, I'm taking you skiing. Turns out that she was on the Canadian ski team. Anyway, awesome uh-huh. woman. She said to me, so well, let's let's do cycle for sight. And I said, Oh, I don't know. I don't cycle. I hear that it's gonna hurt like heck, you know, the girly bits down there. And I said, mm, 
not into it. And she said, I'm a doctor, you'll be fine. So we did it. And I think we did 90k in three hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, up and down lots of hills. And so that was amazing and raised a lot of money. And then when I came back to Toronto, Mitch Camille, who is the head guide, captain, coach thingy for Cycle for Sight got me into it. And he's been absolutely amazing. And Cycle for Sight raises money, not only for retinitis pigmentosa, but now we're raising money for all visual related eye diseases, right? Is that right, Lo? You're correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we should all go to the virtual stuff and raise money for Cycle for Sight. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So this summer, let's join together. We'll Cycle for Sight. Absolutely. Julie and I will yeah. likely be leading the Zwift virtual ride, at least be a part of it. And my Jonas, you will be sweating alongside of us across the country, wherever you are. And let's uh, raise some money to help end blindness. I think you'll be, you two will be gone like a bullet and I'll be on the way back saying hello, you know, <laughs> but it'll be great. And I think Cycle for Sight actually does a lot of great work. Cycle for Sight is absolutely very, very impressive. And and I'm yeah. glad you're part of it. And I'm glad I'm part of it. And I'm glad and the jerseys have been cute too. Well, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one day when I come out, I want to see your kids. <laughs> we'll go running. We'll go running. I could beat them probably still. I don't I, know. Maybe. I, oh, no. You know. We have we have a bunch of tethers here so we can tether up and we can go for a run. They're more of short sprinters. They, uh, <laughs> they like the quick sprints, not so much the yeah. long distance. They haven't trained themselves for that yet. So. And one day after my uh, my dream here of competing in the Paralympics and cycling, I'd like to get back to my my running and triathlon roots. I'd love to try to get a, oh a Boston and, and hit some of these classics that you've run in the past too. So maybe by oh the time I'm God. your age, I'll have run as many marathons as you. Or I'll try uh, to catch up to Well, my... yeah, yeah. But, you know, I jogged it. But I had a great time doing it. But listen, if you guys ever come to Toronto... I have a lovely guest room, so please come visit. We will. And we'll go running with my amazing running people, and and we'll have a great time. So listen, you guys take very good care of yourselves. Yeah, you too. It's really nice getting to know you. You You too. Thank you so much for chatting with us. You were a lot of fun. (laughs) You're kidding. You're an amazing woman. Great stories, great wisdom, very entertaining. Lovely mindset. Thank you so much for spending this time with us, Maya, and we'll see you later. You too. Bye. Bye. Maya Jonas. Maya Jonas. I laughed more than I expected to. She is a firecracker. She's so funny. So to overcome obstacles with help, with support, with an attitude of I'll show you and don't tell me what I can't do. It's just this dream to be alive and to have fun. So that may have been an episode different than many of the others. Maya does have a, a wonderful sense of humor coping the sense of humor to get through difficulty is definitely apparent in Maya. She's very relational and has used the power of relationships and people to get her through her difficult times. And as a visually impaired individual, she has had to rely on others to do certain things, but also seems to be fiercely independent as well. So balancing both of those worlds. And I love her stories. She just kept shocking me, <laughs> which I love. Mm-hmm. What a great woman. So nice to meet you, Maya. Looking forward to visiting in real life in a post-COVID world in either Toronto or Alberta. Mm -hmm. It is always fun to meet new people. And as somebody who shares the same eye condition as myself, we've gone through some of the same declines and having to deal with our vision in our own ways. She has this path where she's still into sport. She's still living life very large. And she's not letting age or her disability get in her way. Thank you for the inspiration, Maya. Yeah. She talked about how it was frustrating almost how slow it was going and how she just wanted to get it over with and just lose all of her vision. And we've talked about that before, where to lose all of your vision suddenly would be devastating, but then you adjust and then you're done adjusting. Whereas for you, it's been the constant loss of things and constantly adjusting, which can be stressful. But at the same time, you have a hair vision left now, and you just want to hold on to that hair vision. <laughs> yeah, I still very much appreciate the vision that I have that yeah. allows me to have the independence that I do. But yeah, it, as it continues to change, I haven't had the squiggly words oh, that have jumped around, but definitely times when you look at the piece of paper or the computer and my eyes can't recognize words and can't read, and those moments can be very, very frustrating. And the colors are way off too. 
your last cycling training camp, I separated your different color socks into Ziploc bags and labeled what color of socks they were because you have a hard time telling between the neon yellow ones and the white ones and the white ones with black or the white ones with yellow. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that, that light yellow and, and white seems to be uh, one of the latest things to have gone. Yeah. Well, that's a really bright yellow. So yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's it looks like bright white. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm happy to help. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks again, Maya. And thank you all for listening. And we'll catch you all next time. Take care. Bye. Leading to Tokyo 2021, this podcast will be focusing on the stories of elite athletes. If you or someone you know has overcome obstacles on your quest for world-class competition and you'd like to be on our show, please find us at obstaclesandopportunities.com and reach out. Our podcast social media handles are at obsopspod. That is... O-B-S-O-P-S-P-O-D. And our personal handles are at Julie Lowell Can. J-U-L-I-E-L-O-W-E-L-L-C-A-N. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.